0: so yeah today josh is going to be unpacking the kind of rest of luke 21 looking at destruction of the temple signs of the end times and yeah it's going to be great he's got some really great stuff uh, lined up but before we get going i want to hear some of your guys' thoughts so in the next few years or next few weeks months however long what are you looking forward to or what are you waiting for what kind of events um or anything are you looking forward to in the coming months weeks years whatever
1: the summer
2: <laughs> normality
1: being able to play uh sport graduation uh being actually like, able to go to work uh, when covid is over um, I just booked a cruise with my best friend for next not like this coming September, but like this September after that. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to going to Maldives and the Dubai in October with uh, with my family. Able to
2: hug other people again.
1: Uh, going to gigs and playing in
2: gigs. Meeting my nephew for the first time.
0: 100 percent That's some yeah, really great stuff. Why are you looking forward to those things?
1: I'm just looking forward to being able to get the all clear, to go out and start learning to drive again because when I'm working, my dad's having, on a Saturday, my dad's having to be up at half five in the morning to drop me off at work and when he's done like a full week's like work like full time, Um, it's it's just not fair on him, so... Being able to drive is just like a massive like, relief for him. Uh, that I can do the things that I love the most. Yeah, I feel like, you know, especially over the last
0: 10, 12 months, however long it's been, so much has been stripped away. So much has been taken away. Um, all the normal things that we enjoy, you know, the normality, like you said, Matt, um, like so much has just gone that we once had, you know, whether that's just, you know, being able to see people, being able to hug people, being able to see members of your family, anything, it's all been kind of disrupted by the events of the last 10 months, you know, it's taken away the ability to do hobbies that we might enjoy, to meet our friends, to see members of our family, whatever, it's, it's really kind of strips that back for us, and that's kind of what this passage is looking at today, it's Jesus here, as you kind of like read through Luke 21, what you see is that Jesus is predicting something crazy. If you can imagine, if you went back to the middle of 2019 and you were like, hey, you know what? The middle of 2020, the whole world almost is going to be in an international lockdown. No one would have believed you. It would have seemed absolutely crazy. But you see, that's what Jesus is predicting. Here. Jesus is stood here. He's stood in front of the temple and he's basically saying, look, this is going to be destroyed. Now, I want to give you some context. The temple that he's talking about, the temple he's talking about was very big. Now, we've spoken about the temple stones a couple of times, but they're huge, literally massive. Some of them were 11 meters long, five meters deep and three meters high. That's a big stone. So the fact that Jesus stood in front of these stones and he's saying, look, you know what? One day these are going to be destroyed. And the fact is that actually 10 years after Luke wrote his book, It happened. In 70 AD the Romans basically just leveled the entire temple. You see when the Jewish high priest was deposed by the Romans for illegally executing James, the main leader of the Jerusalem church, there was a full-scale Jewish revolt against Roman rule. There were some early successes but as you can imagine from the kind of strength of the Roman Empire, a small little Jewish uprising is not going to do much. And these Jewish rebellionists, they were pushed back inside Jerusalem By the tightly disciplined Roman legions in 70 AD and there's an extract here that I'm going to read from the historian Josephus who was present when the city fell in August 70 AD and during this time he estimates that about a million Jews were slaughtered. This is from Josephus's Wars of the Jews. They killed those. They overtook without mercy and set fire to the houses into which the Jews fled, burning every soul in them. They ran through everyone they met and obstructed the very lanes with their dead bodies, making the whole city run with such blood that the fire of many of the houses was quenched. You see, this happened. And it's interesting to look at the disciples response, which Josh is going to kind of unpack for us. But the disciples at the start, when they're stood in front of these big stones and Jesus is like, look, this is all going to be destroyed. They don't doubt him. They don't say, nah, you know, you're having us on. There's no way these, these massive temple walls could be destroyed. Instead, they say, they ask him when. They want to know. And it's that kind of level of trust that they have in Jesus. They they know that if he says something, it's going to happen. This passage that Josh is going to be unpacking, it's looking at, again, it's kind of the, the past, the now, and the not yet. You see, yes, These verses are about the destruction of the temple. They're about the temple being destroyed in 70 AD. But they also describe the whole of AD history from the ascension of Jesus to his return. You see, the disciples here, they're asking, you know, when will Jerusalem be destroyed? But Jesus' answer encompasses the final destruction of the world and its renewal in God's completed kingdom. So, we've got to, as we go through this, we've got to read this with that mindset that it's talking about the destruction of the temple, yes, but it's also talking about something that is to come. We've got to take that eternal mindset that we so often talk about, about living for the eternity rather than living for earth now, rather than living for the now, to shifting our focus to what really matters. And that's where I'm going to leave it. I'm going to hand straight over to Josh, who's going to walk us through this passage from Luke 21.
3: Yeah. So it's great to be with you. First things first, would anybody like to read out the passage is Luke 21 verses 5 to 24. That is including 24.
2: Sorry, I'm I'm a bit late. Do you want me to read out? Yeah. Luke 21 verses 5 to
3: 24.
2: Signs of the end of of the age. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with the gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Watch out that you are not deceived, he replied, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he. And this time is near do not follow them when you hear the wars and revolutions do not be frightened these things must happen first but the end will not come right away And he said to them nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and with great earthquakes pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven before all this they will lay hands on you and persecute you they will deliver you to synagogues and prisons and and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by brothers, parents, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that it is its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee into the mountains, let those in the city get out, and let those in this in the country not enter the city.
3: So yeah, this is the temple. This is the temple of the centre of Jerusalem. This is pinnacle of the city. This temple was originally built all the way back in Ezra, in verses 15 of chapter 6. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. This was built by Ezra and Zerubbabel, and it was greatly expanded and improved by King Herod. It was the centre of Jewish life, and was so revered that even we see in Matthew chapter 23, verse 16, it was customary to swear on the temple. Where to you blind guides? You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. And speaking against it could have been considered as being blasphemous. Like this, this temple wasn't just big; it was beautiful. It was a staple of the city, about thirty-six acres, before it was destroyed in seventy A.D. But as great as the temple was, Jesus never hesitated to claim that he w- that he was greater than than the temple. For many back in jesus's time it had become a way of worship it had become an idol it became something that they worshiped it was more important to them than god was so if they're worshiping in that temple it's almost as if they're worshiping the walls around them rather than the god who gave them the the chance to build it see this is an issue that continues on today in contemporary society where we see us choosing different things to worship rather than god Albeit amazing singers, albeit amazing sports stars, albeit the the French referee yesterday, ha, <laughs> Alex, I've caught you out there. It mattered so much to them that they were openly just worshipping it rather than God. We see this with what with the world that we live in. Not that we worship temples. Some people might, but we find things in the world that we put at such a high esteem that it rivals God. And sometimes it goes above God, sometimes it just It just needs. But the fact that it can go above God in itself is saying that we can worship it the same. See, whatever we do, wherever we go, going in the name of Jesus, we go with the same power that raised him from the grave. If I decide to go and go to South America and I take the name of Georgia North with me, that doesn't hold as much power as the name of Jesus holds like even if I decide you know what I'm going to go all across the world and I'm going to take the name of the Beatles that that won't hold the same power that the name of Jesus holds and that is why he is so, like it's not even just the fact that it's a name it's everything that came with it the fact that he can rise in the grave the fact that he was the one and only son of God which is what we believe the fact that he in everything was always 100% man 100% God 100% at the time bad maths great theology. It's a, it's a mess, but it's God's mess. So it's perfect. Like we carry his power within us, that power that conquered death, crossed the divide. From the moment we open our eyes to the moment we go to sleep, every action should be an act of worship. Every action should be an act of worship for Jesus. See, choosing Jesus is still a choice. It's not that we accept him into our life once and then we're like, Ah, I'm perfect now, that's fine. I'm just gonna to continue to go on with my life. Every day we have to we have that opportunity to pick up our cross, to schedule Jesus into our lives and make him be the focus of that schedule, rather than fitting Jesus into everything else, for everything else around Jesus. It's like you've got brackets, right? Brackets are a great thing, they help you give a side note to something. If the brackets, the side note is the key information that you have and then everything else fits around it. That's what our lives should be with Jesus. We should have that bracket, have that Jesus section where we're like, right, this is the main part of my life. Everything else just falls into place. Jesus becomes uh, every I'm guessing quite a lot of people will have seen the, the big like the massive like glass cylinder with a massive rock in the middle. And that's Jesus and everything fits in around it. When we put Jesus at the centre of our lives, things just fit into place. Things slide around, things mould into the shape of Jesus that we've seen, that we've put our focus on. See, choosing Jesus is that choice, to pick up our cross daily, every single day, waking up the first thought, Jesus. If that is, then we're definitely going to start to see progress. That's certainly something that I've seen in my life with certain areas, which I'll go into depth a little bit more. See, Elisha's just said something really great to me, which is actually a maths thing, which is probably the last thing you'd expect from me. But it says that um, brackets are actually uh, also tell you which operations have a high priority over others. Um, I'm guessing that means that if you have like a times in a brackets, then it takes over anything else. I don't know. I'm not good at maths like choosing Jesus, choosing him to be the priority for us is still that massive choice that we have to make. It's never going to be easy. We're just going to, there's a promise that he's never going to leave our side. So what is there in our world that we worship? What do we choose to worship in our lives? What do we see people choosing to worship in their lives? What we worship is what becomes our power and our strength that we go in. We're worshipping Jesus. We're taking the power and the strength of Jesus everywhere we go. Worship isn't just the singing, standing uh, in church, contemporary, like all the good, all that stuff. Worship is every single action we do. Worship can be prayer. Worship can be singing. Worship can be playing rugby for Tom. Worship can be doing maths for Ben. Worship can be playing the drums for Nat. Worship can be whatever we we do that wants to <laughs> that we want to worship Jesus in doing. See, this becomes our power and our strength in what we go in. When we're worshiping Jesus in everything we do, we see that Jesus' strength is coming through, even in just the tiny things. There might there might be loads that you can think of, but I am going to just explore one now that I feel is picked up in verse seven. So instant gratification. If I said that to you, a lot of you might look at me and think, wow, he's bringing out very long words. Instant gratification uh, we see in verse 7 is, teacher, he asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? I don't know the guidance that the, the disciples were asking this question in, but you could certainly take it away that they are asking so that they want to know. They want to know out of their human ambition. Instant gratification is saying you know what i want to know right now i want to be the right now it's putting ourselves on the throne in a way saying to god that we can get it we can get more in that moment and is worth more than god's perfect timing this is what scheduling is all about scheduling is all about like if we had brought a pizza and god had told us you're going to eat that pizza on saturday and then you're just constantly going back and you're thinking "Mm, i could really eat that pizza today and it'd be really great if you have that pizza before you were brought it and intended it to be eaten that's instant gratification that's being like right in this moment i want to eat this pizza now rather than saving it for when god had it planned for me it's going it's avoiding letting god work in his time and saying you know what i want this now instead it's fundamentally wrong it's saying that our name is above the name of jesus like is saying that our arrogance means that we deserve to be on the throne we deserve to be in that place in the kingdom of heaven above the creator of the earth this is what stems into quite a lot of sin that we see for me it was porn i hate even thinking about the word like when we think about porn and it's saying in that moment i can get more out of this momentary false perspective of sex that is been portrayed by the toxic culture that we live in today than i can in your perfect your perfect timing your perfect ideas for me your perfect plan for me is saying that in that moment it holds more weight than the risen christ it's a very big issue because of how available it is because of the fact that in probably about 10 seconds, you can get to so many sites, so many different web pages, which will just give you free access. And that's such an issue because think of the amount of children that get iPads and things for their birthdays from their parents. But it's also the fact that there's human trafficking that goes on in there. It's how readily available it is that has changed it into such a massive thing. I guarantee that in most your parents' time, the only way to access it was to go to a shop and buy it, and you had to be over the age of 18. And there was that awkward moment where you pass it across the counter. See, it's because it's so readily available that the instant gratification becomes so easy. If I had been, i had been back two, three years ago. I wouldn't have had access to it if I was living in the same generation that my parents did. I wouldn't have had that access, which wouldn't, which would have killed it at its source. See. It stems from our arrogance of us putting ourselves above God, putting our earthly timing above God's plan. I quote it so much, but God's plan, I'm not sponsored by Drake, I promise, um, but God's plan is such, a, is such a great, amazing thing that we don't even have any imagination of what it could be like in the future. God has such great plans for all of us here, for everybody, his own perfect will to live out that plan. And we actively go against it. We actively choose to be like, you know what? I want this right now. So do we fit Jesus into our schedule or fit our schedule around Jesus? God cannot fit into our plans. We must fit into his. We can't use God. God's not a tool or a credit card. God isn't a French referee. God isn't something that we can just go out and use. God isn't something that we can... Just be like, right. I'm going to use this for a second, then I'm going to go over, go away. God isn't my cricket bat. God isn't my deodorant can. God isn't my book. God is love. God is love in the centre, and He is constant and He's always there. Holy is the word that describes this. Holy is the word that sets God apart and above our attempts to put Him into our, our selfish wish fulfillment fantasies that we have, or our schemes to make our own mark in the world. Holy means that God is alive on God's terms, not ours. Alive in a way that exceeds anything we can experience or imagine. The Hebrew word holy, kadosh, probably originally meant separate or set apart. It came to be used to describe the otherness of God. And how his character and nature are so much greater and more wonderful than any any other person or thing. For something else to be holy means that it's dedicated to God. Like, we are holy to the extent. Extent that our life is devoted to Him, and our actions reflect His character. Holiness is and wholeness, very wholeness and holiness, very closely related. God wants to be a part of our whole life. The more we are holy, holy, the more the whole of our lives is dedicated to God. The more holy we're going to see it. The more we're going to see holy moments in our lives. The more we're going to walk down the street and just be having a conversation with someone, and the next moment we see that God's working. He wants to be a part in every aspect of our life, not just our Sundays, not just our Mondays. And then you drop off, not just the weekend, not just at Soul Survivor, not not just spring harvest, but not just like, not just the the times that we have that we set apart from God. God wants to be a part of our lives from the start of our day to the end of our day and everything else in between. In gratitude for everything that God has done for us, by the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's Romans 12 verses 1 to 2. This comes back to carrying our cross through persecution. Explained perfectly through 12 to 19. Giving God our whole life. Giving God our conversations. Giving God our start of the day. Giving God our end of the day. Giving him that opportunity to move through it all. The whole holiness of it rather than just being the Sunday holiness. Let God be everything in our life from the start to the end. And that's when we see those sins like instant gratification kind of fizzle out. God isn't the God of the instant switch, but God is the God of being with you and being for you and will not let you not let you go no matter what. Things like instant gratification, whatever that might replace for you, God is with you through that. I can promise you that. But as to every time that we If you wake up and your first thought is moving on with God's plan, kind of living out God's plan, the more we're going to see that our lives are rotating around him. See, carrying our cross through persecution is massive because we face a lot of persecution in the world. The Western church is heavily persecuted. The Eastern church is heavily persecuted. All of the church across the world is heavily persecuted all the way out in Korea where people are killed for their faith, going all the way to America where there are attacks on on churches just because they're worshipping. You see it all across the world, and you see it just because we carry the name of Jesus with us, all on account of Jesus' name, all because we carry the name of Jesus with us is what brings that persecution to us. Right. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's Luke 9, verse 23. Governor B said uh, in one of his songs, you never promised me an easy life, but you just promised to never leave my side. Um, I had the utter blessing of talking on James chapter one at my college's CU on Thursday. And one of the key parts of this first half of the chapter is taking joy in our persecutions. James is brilliant because it's, it's really easy to read, but it's hard to live. It's hard to live out in the fact that it is meant to convict us. It's meant to make you want to change up what we're doing. See, it makes us want to want to want to change the world. It makes us want to pioneer. It makes us want to start to change aspects in our lives where we see things like this. In five chapters, you've got probably as many quotes that are used in sermons across the world still today as you probably do in Leviticus and all, loads of Old Testament uh, books as well, just because of how punchy it is James is probably the most brutal of all of the um, all of the disciples. He was a blood relative of Jesus. He he was he wasn't pulling any punches. Like he wasn't going to go in and be like, "I see your feelings. I'm going to be nice to them. He was there like, "That's your weak spot. I'm taking it. I'm going to hit you there, and I'm going to make it, and I'm going to make you realise that we need to change." James wants to switch from an individualistic life to being more other-centred, becoming more likely to fit our world G- around Jesus, becoming more likely to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, to be more likely to show our faith through our deeds, to be more likely to look and be kind to people who are poor compared to being more likely to be nicer to people who are rich, treating everybody equally. Helping out people who need it, praying for people who are struggling. Jesus should be our center for everything. And rather than just looking and being like, right, I'm just going to write a really nice letter on this, he was like, right, this is what needs to change. This is what I'm going to say. This is how we're going to do it. James talks about our trials. Uh, in verses two to four of chapter one, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in everything in fact in the in the message version it says consider a shared gift friends when tests and challenges come at you from all sides our challenges from the outside often come because we carry our cross because we step up in the name of Jesus because we say you know what God I am going to live out my life for you when we open ourselves to Jesus taking on the holy spirit and all its power it's our battle cry it is us saying you know what i'm about to i'm about to fight this massive battle but i'm going to do it in the name of jesus cuz that's the power that can carry me through the work of our ministry is a spiritual warfare with spiritual enemies and spiritual purposes so i know the ministry is this great commission to share the gospel rather than just being exclusive to like what me and Ben do here or what you see at your church or when you go to a festival and you see loads of people standing on stage. It is talking about that great commission of going out and sharing God's love in the world. Our power comes from the name of the risen Christ, but that's also putting a target on our back. That target is put on by us. That target is there ready to show, but it is shown in passion because we know that Jesus has got us. But as Luke goes on to say in verses 14 and 15, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. When I read this, my mind instantly went to this little plaque that I, um, that I got given at Spring Harvest once by a friend. And it has Ephesians 6.16 on, which says, take up the shield of faith. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you, You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Those are our spiritual enemies. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground uh, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows from the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God is both our strength and our shield, with truth, righteousness, peace, faith salvation and spirit this here that i'm holding this is god's word this is the word of god this is what gives us all of this if you wake up and the first thing that you do is go to the bible and maybe read one of your memory verses that you love as setting yourself up helping the the word of god dwell in our hearts like hide the word of god in our hearts the first thing that we see jesus do in matthew 4 when he is tempted he goes straight away and quotes, the, quotes Deuteronomy. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, God is for you and he's always going to be for you. He's always going to be going with you, beside you as he loves you. That was the chorus of the blessing, which was such a massively impactful song that came out over the lockdown period for so many people. It reached so far and he loved you so much that as the most quoted bible verse probably in the world uh, john three sixteen, for god so loved the world that he gave us one lonely son perfect love drives out all fear 1 john four eighteen, which we see in the last bit of this passage then let those who are in judea flee to the mountains let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city God, even when he's bringing condemnation, even when he's bringing the power of heaven to draw apart, throughout it all, he's protecting the people he loves. God's not going to let the people he loves be subject to more than they can handle. God isn't going to throw us miles in out of our depth. God isn't going to sit there and be like, right, I'm going to throw 15,000 people at you, questioning your faith so much that you're going to completely stumble and like fall as we see in Job he lets Job be tempted by the devil but knows he will not change because he knows the power of God he knows the power of Job's relationship with God see throughout it all God loves us throughout it all God is going to protect us throughout it all God is going to be with us throughout it all God is going to never leave us nor forsake us So let's look back at James chapter one, verses two to three. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We continue to persevere through our struggles. God's got us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his perfect love casts out all fear. Taking joy in our earthly struggles, realising that God is moving, Realizing that God is always going to be moving for the good of you, it goes on to say in James there that every good gift is from above and every bad thing is from us. See, our temptations—that's different. Those come from our own impure heart. It comes from the heart that isn't Jesus' heart. Jesus was the only perfect person. I think we've we speak about it so much: 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. We are just that 100% man. We're just human. We are subject to death, we're subject to sin. But through the power of the risen Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we are struggling with such, such inside temptation, God is still for us. God is still walking alongside us. God is still showing that he loves us. God is always going to take every step that we can. God is going to be with us along that path. Jesus was the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So let us run the race that he has marked out for us, which is Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 4. Continuing to run our race. Life is a marathon, not a sprint, which is probably one of the most famous marathon quoting uh, things ever. But like, God is always with us along this long, long path of life. God is continuing to take a step. And whether you're at a crossroads at the moment, whether you're at a T-junction, whether you are sat there thinking, what is going on? Whether you are rocky and on the side and on the, walking along the edges of the road, like, I don't know what God wants. Whether you've strayed so far from the path that God has planned for you, continuing to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Going back to see that God is for us Even though because we carry Jesus' name, we're going to face challenges. He's always going to be with us. Do we fit Jesus into our schedule or do we work our schedule around Jesus? Do we put Jesus at the centre? As Kayla said, if God is for us, who can ever stop us? One of my favourite tunes ever. That was actually my baptism tune. And it's just that song by Chris Tomlin. Open the eyes of the blind, there's none like you, Lord Jesus. And that's what it is. We take that power that conquered the grave, crossed the divide, lost in our sin, he made us alive. Jesus is always going to be for us. And his power is always going to be continuing to give us that strength that helps us continue on. Which is, even when we are weak, we are strong. Which is 2 Corinthians 12, 11. God is always going to be for us. God is always going to be working with us. God, even when we're facing temptation, even when we're facing outwards trials, even when we're living through a pandemic, God is always going to be continuing to try to work for the good of the people who who love him. So So go out in your your lives this week, continuing to look to spread God's joy everywhere, fitting God as the centre of our schedule. Which is very difficult for those of you who, like me, who already have a schedule that's prescribed for them by a college or a school or a uni or anything, or work or whatever it might be. As we're continuing to live out God's schedule for us, we're continuing to see that things like instant gratification don't become as much of a factor through the fact that we are scheduling our lives around jesus we are like right jesus you've got this plan for me i'm going to give you all of this time and i pray that you will be the center of it all focusing on jesus can help us run from temptation help us flee pain that we inflict on ourselves so i think have we got breakout rooms ready ben we do so yeah um i'll leave you with this question which will be do we try to fit jesus into our schedule Or do we let our schedule be Jesus?